Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and open our hearts to hear your word to us today. Bring your healing and your peace. Open our ears to hear from you. Open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of you know that my daughter's name is Abigail. She was the little one up here with her wonderful daddy. We just celebrated Abigail's second birthday this month. Uh, when Pastor Wade told us that you would be in a told me that you would be in a series on David, I thought of Abigail's story in Scripture, and I said, "Hmm, I wonder if I could talk about Abigail." So here we are. When we chose Abigail's name, we primarily chose it for its meaning. It's a Hebrew word, a name, which means the father's rejoicing. And indeed, God our Father is rejoicing over our little girl's life. When we chose her name, we were also just somewhat familiar with the character Abigail, found in the middle of David's narrative, as we've just read. We knew that the biblical Abigail was someone whose story was one which we hoped our daughter might find inspiration from. But certainly, you don't have to be named Abigail to learn something from this character's story. So I hope that all of us, Abigail or not, will be open to hearing from this story today. I realize it's probably a little unconventional and maybe a little tedious for us to read the entirety of this chapter, all 44 verses, as our scripture for this morning. But any time a woman's story is told in the Old Testament, which is not very often or throughout any of scripture, that means that the scribes, the people writing down the words of scripture, found this story one that was valuable, is worth telling, has weight for us to pay attention to, something for us to learn from. It's not very often that we hear about women's stories in scripture. It's not very often that we even learn their names. But this one has a whole chapter, 44 verses. It's worth reading, worth our time. So that's what we're going to do. There's a lot we can learn from this story. And a lot that we won't cover in a 20-minute sermon. I listened to five one-hour podcasts in preparation for this. Like, there's a lot we could talk about. We're not going to cover it all. But I want to focus this morning on what we can learn from Abigail about peacemaking in the midst of complex conflict, trusting the Spirit's guidance, and coming alongside one another for God's purposes. So let's jump in. What have we read so far? In the first scripture reading, we read the first third of the chapter, and the first thing that is said is, now Samuel died. This is important. We remember Samuel, right? His mother Hannah prays in desperation for a baby boy, and God gives her Samuel, and she dedicates the Lord, and he grows up in the temple to then become the leader of Israel, sitting as judge and prophet over all of God's people. And it is Samuel who finds the little shepherd boy David, and anoints him as the future king of Israel. Samuel has been a mentor and leader in David's life. The passage says that all of Israel assembled and mourned the death of Samuel, and surely David, too, is grieving the loss of this important figure in his life when he goes off into the wilderness. It's important to note that David is in a season of deep grief. 
because I think this helps us understand what he does next. So David is in the wilderness, and not too far down the dusty road lives Nabal, whose name we will learn means fool. I don't know what Nabal's mama was thinking when he named, she named him that, but there you have it. The passage also describes Nabal as a surly and mean person. He's mean in his dealings. We are left with no question that Nabal is a bad dude, right? Someone you would not usually feel like inviting to your summer barbecue because he's probably going to get drunk. He's guaranteed to say a bunch of rude things. He's probably going to speak badly about his wife and say all kinds of appropriate th inappropriate things about the servants. You know this guy, right? We all have a Nabal in our lives. And the passage says Nabal has a wife named Abigail, who is wise and beautiful. And as the story goes on, we will see that Nabal lives up to his name of fool, and Abigail will prove to be very wise. We then learn that Nabal is super rich. Nabal has a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, and it is sheep shearing season, which means he's about to have a big party. So David is nearby with his big army of 600 men. And David sends a servant to ask Nabal if he can come to Nabal's party. He says, hey, Nabal, I've been doing you this favor by protecting your shepherd and your sheep in the wilderness. Do you think we can come to your party? Nabal, living up to his reputation, responds by insulting David. He says, who is this David? Which is ridiculous. Everyone knows who David is. There's no question that Nabal knows who the guy is who's been hanging out next door with an army of 600 men. Like he's not hiding somewhere, you know, he's there. And as a citizen of Israel, Nabal knows the political atmosphere of what has happened with Samuel and David and Saul. This is the part of the barbecue where the rude guy, drunk guy starts sharing his op political opinions, right? He insults David. Who is this guy? He's the future king of Israel. He's suggesting that David is a nobody. Certainly not anyone the all-important Nabal would stoop down to share his party with. When David hears how rude Nabal has been to him, he says to his men, strap on your swords. And he and his army get ready to go and kill Nabal and his household, a bunch of Israelites. Nabal, however foolish and brutish he is, is David's kin. This is a fellow Israelite. David sets out meaning to kill the entire household of the very people he is called to be king to. I think this is where David's grief at the death of Samuel comes into play. Grief is blinding him. He's pretty reactionary. He's not in his right mind. He's been wandering in the desert. Saul is still on his throne, and he's got to hide away from Saul. And I think in the midst of his grief, David has forgotten who he is. And he has forgotten God's promises. David is in such a dark place that when he doesn't, that when he doesn't get what he wants, he quite rashly reacts into a vengeful rage. I have seen a few toddlers act like this. Not naming any names. Mine's perfect. Can you imagine what would have happened if David had followed through with this kind of, rep with this kind of action? What would have happened if he had gone and killed a whole household of Israelites? 
He would have been known throughout Israel as being a person when he doesn't get what he wants, when he's insulted, he takes to killing entire households of people. This would not be the same man after God's own heart that we read about just a few chapters ago. And David's reputation is one of the things that Abigail is very concerned about. When a servant tells Abigail what her terrible husband has done, yet again, when she realized the great danger that her household is now in, she jumps into action and goes to put a stop to the violence that is about to take place. She goes to David to make peace with him. And as we just read in verses 22 through 31, Abigail pleads with David, don't take revenge on Nabal. She humbles herself, bowing before David, and she apologizes for her foolish husband. She then reminds David of who he is. She reminds David of his future as king and reminds him of the responsibility that he has ahead of him, convincing him that he doesn't want to have this reckless bloodshed on his conscience. But most importantly, Abigail reminds David that God is a God who keeps his promises. God will deal with all the enemies of David, including Nabal. And God will keep his promise to make David king over Israel. And with her wise words and comfort, David is convinced to put away his sword. And David praises God for Abigail's wisdom, agrees to ignore Nabal's foolishness, and chooses not to be sucked into Nabal's taunting insults. David chooses faithfulness to Yahweh over a fruitless moment of revenge. For the sake of time, I'm going to just summarize what happens in the rest of the chapter rather than reading it, but I encourage you to read it for yourself. David sends Abigail off in peace, and she returns home to find Nabal drunk as a skunk. No offense to the skunks. When Nabal sobers up, Abigail tells him what she has done behind his back, which causes Nabal to have a heart attack. He's comatose for 10 days, and then 10 days later, the Lord strikes Nabal dead. That's the scripture's word. God did it. God killed him. said, out with you. Which makes David very happy to hear that God took care of his enemy, just like God promised that he would, as God always keeps his promises. And David is very relieved that he didn't go off in a rampage and kill a bunch of Israelites. And then, David being David, he goes and invites Abigail to join his menagerie of wives as his most recent prize. David and his many wives is a sermon for another day, which I believe Pastor Wade has already addressed. So Abigail becomes David's wife, and we will read about her just two more times throughout Scripture with very brief references. But that is the story of Abigail. So we can see why the scribes included this story in scripture, why it was worth writing about a woman. Abigail's actions as a peacemaker play a pivotal role in David's narrative. If she hadn't taken action to mitigate the conflict between these two men, we can only imagine what would have happened in David's history. She's faithful to God, trusting in God's good plan for David, and trusting in God's good plan for Israel. And with that faith, she stands in the middle of two very powerful men mediating and advocating for a peaceful course of action. 
Now, not many of us are going to find ourselves in a moment where we come face to face with an angry army of 600 men with swords drawn, Lord willing. And not all of us will find ourselves in situations where we have influence that can have national and historical implications like Abigail does. But all of us face moments of conflict in our lives sometimes in small interpersonal conflict or other bigger societal problems that we're all wrapped up in. And as children of the God who is peace, we are called to be peacemakers, just like Abigail. And I'm sure that I don't have to convince you that this world is in desperate need of peace. Desperate need of peace that passes understanding, peace that only the Prince of Peace can bring. In a minute, I'm going to highlight five ways that Abigail acts as a peacemaker. Don't worry, they're short. Short five ways. Uh, And you have in your bulletin, there's a little section where you can scribble your notes or do some math, I guess. I had to look up what that thing meant when you're written there at the top of that. (laughs) Google's helpful. I'm going to highlight these five ways that Abigail acts as a peacemaker with the disclaimer that Abigail's story is just one of many peacemaking examples found throughout Scripture. There are many, many other ways to handle conflict well, which we don't necessarily learn about in Scripture. So many other resources you can turn to to learn about peacemaking. Abigail's story is just one example of peacemaking. And the ways that Abigail handles conflict may not work or apply for every situation we may find ourselves in. But we certainly do have something to learn from her. So as we walk through these five points, I want you to listen for how God might be inviting you to be a peacemaker. What is the relationship or situation that comes to your mind right now? Maybe it's within your own household. Maybe a strained relationship. Or maybe you sit on a board where important decisions are made and conflict often arises as they do where important people come together to make important decisions. Whatever it may be, I would invite you to pay attention to the things and situations that come to your mind as we walk through these points, because I think that's often how the Spirit nudges us. So what are the five things we can learn from Abigail's example about how to be a peacemaker? The first thing that Abigail does is she takes a risk. She takes a risk. She goes behind her belligerent husband's back, completely going against what he has already decided, this is certainly a huge risk. That's not marriage advice, right? Like, don't just, like, go behind your spouse's back and make decisions without them knowing. But this is what Abigail does. She takes that risk. And then she makes the risk of approaching David. She's completely stepping outside of her lane as a woman of her day. This is a risk. Not only that, but she is a woman approaching a soon-to-be king who also happens to be standing there with an army of men, all of them swords drawn and fuming mad. It's a huge risk that she takes. But Abigail doesn't seem to dwell on the what-ifs. She's focused on making peace with David. She's focused on preventing destruction. She's focused on the desires of God, which is for peace for his children. So she takes the risk of peace. When we are facing conflict, it can be easy to hole up. It can be easy to stay in our comfort zone and avoid the mess because conflict can be so messy. The risks are real and serious. And stepping in as a peacemaker might mean you lose some friends. 
Some relationships can be so complicated and full of years of dysfunction and pain and the kind of deep healing that these relationships require will take energy and time to find healing. Not every conflict is one which will resolve quite as quickly as the one we see between David and Nabal. But Abigail's example is to not sit idly by, to not just wait and see what happens. She takes the first step towards peacemaking. She takes that risk. The second thing that Abigail does is she meets tangible needs. She meets tangible needs. She brings to David and his army 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five big bags of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin, and 200 fig cakes. What she teaches us here is to never underestimate the power of a home-baked loaf of bread. I don't know about you, but if you feed my people, if I don't have to do the grocery shopping and the meal planning and the cooking and the dishes, if you take care of my body and my family's needs, we're going to be all right. I mean, I know the Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins, but let's talk about how many sins a good casserole can cover. Abigail brings a peace offering. It may sound silly and simplistic, but how many major conflicts and problems in our world could be resolved if we simply learned how to share our food? If you're thinking about that person you've had conflict with, what would it be like to bake them some cookies? How would that go? Bring some treats to your next board meeting. People make better decisions when they have some food in them. It may seem silly and maybe not the advice for every situation, but try it. Just see what happens. And if that doesn't sound right for your situation, then what is the metaphorical figs and bread that might be the peace offering needed? The third thing that Abigail does is she acts out of her wisdom. She acts out of her wisdom. And I think Abigail's wisdom and ability to navigate conflict have been earned the hard way through years of being in a very difficult marriage. Conflict manage management skills are learned behavior. I spend a lot of time with toddlers, and the ability to get along with each other is something we have to teach, something we have to learn. And we will all spend our entire lives learning how to do that well, or hopefully we will learn and keep learning. For Abigail, she has learned to discern with wisdom what the situation calls for. She knows when to stand her ground and take matters into her own hands. And she also knows very well how to handle powerful men when they are mad. She has learned that sometimes the fastest way to snuff out conflict and violence with someone who is standing there fuming mad with a sword drawn is to apologize, even when she did nothing wrong. She lets David know that she sees his pain and recognizes the reason he is mad. She acknowledges his right to be angry. Most of the time, people just want to know their feelings are heard and valid and respected. I say this with a very large grain of salt being quick to apologize because apologizing for something you haven't done isn't correct in every situation, of course, especially not in a toxic one where someone who has been gaslighting and abusing you. This, is not, this doesn't bring about true peace if you just apologize for not doing something wrong. But Abigail uses wisdom and discretion to recognize what the moment calls for, recognize the kind of approach the situation needs in order to bring about a peaceful resolution. 
Scripture says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's James chapter 1. The fourth thing that Abigail does is she speaks the truth with love. And what are the truths that she tells David? She gently, gently reminds him of the truth that he needs to maintain a good reputation in order to honor God. She reminds him of the truth that God is a God who keeps his promises. Her words are full of respect and honor of David. She doesn't shame him for his actions and anger. She carefully speaks the truth of God's purposes and plans to David in a way that he can hear what she has to say and then take what she has to say and change his direction. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Abigail's story stands as an example of speaking the truth with love. When we enter into a role of peacemaking, we do well to make sure that we approach each situation with a heart full of love and humility. Which brings us to the fifth and final point. The final thing in Abigail's peacemaking is that she is rooted in her faith. She is deeply rooted in her faith as she enters into this role. Abigail knows deep in her bones that Yahweh promises to keep his promises. She knows that the Lord will bring justice upon the earth. She has deep faith and confidence in the promise that the Lord will not abandon David and the Lord will not abandon the nation of Israel. It's with the courage of her faith in God's promises to bring peace on the earth that Abigail steps into this role as a peacemaker. And she steps into it with confidence in the God who is peace. So we too know that we can have this confidence and courage with the Holy Spirit's guidance and strength with us to stand in the face of an army of 600 men with swords drawn. We too can speak words of peace and love to our neighbors, love our enemies, and pray for those who persecute us. We too can be peacemakers, for this is our promise as children of God, that the God who is peace has not abandoned us, and he will heal us. That situation that you've had in your mind, God's going to work it all out. One way or another, God is going to bring about his peace here upon the earth. That is his promise. That is the good news. And our God keeps his promises. So I hope that Abigail has inspired you this morning to take some steps towards peacemaking. Abigail didn't have to do this. She didn't have to take that risk. But God uses her faithfulness. And I pray that as we all take risks to step out in faithfulness as peacemakers, that God might be able to move through our families, into our communities, throughout the world to bring healing and wholeness and peace. 
And I pray this with confidence because God has already brought his peace on the earth and he will bring more peace today right here in this very moment and he will continue to pour out his peace in the days to come. Amen. Would you pray with me? God of peace, would you come into our hearts and fill us with your peace. Give us the courage and confidence to be faithful to you in every area of our life. Help us to be agents of your peace and healing and love. In Jesus' name, amen.